Church, I want to be real this morning. There is nothing more frustrating. There is nothing more disappointing to us as believers than the continual failure to love God with our entire being. In addition to that, there is nothing more frustrating. There is nothing more disappointing than to see our families' lack of love for the Lord. If we were to be honest this morning, try as we may, our intentions of loving God uh, fails day by day. And as much as I intend to love him more than I did yesterday, that is not always the case. There is always something in my life that tends to take away my affections and my love towards the Lord. It reminds me of when my family and I went to Disney World last month, and we decided that we were not going to get separated from the crowd. So we locked hands together. We locked eyes together. Your eyes on me and your eyes on you and my eyes on you. And we locked arms and try as we may. The crowd pressed up against me and my family, and before you know it, we were separated from one another. And I don't know about you, but if I can be real this morning, set describes my relationship with the Lord. Oftentimes, I try to grip onto the hands of God and say, God, I plan on staying near to you no matter what. And all of a sudden, things get in the way, and I feel distant from God. Anybody ever felt distant from God that he was far away? Friends, we often find ourselves in the midst of the crowd of things that life has to offer us, whether it is Facebook or Snapchat, whether it is food, whatever the case may be, things come to separate us from the Lord. And oftentimes, I find myself in the middle of my temptations, and all I can do is cry out, God, find Dexter Harris, because I cannot find you. Can we be real this morning? There is no wonder why our souls cry out to love God supremely. As connected as technology makes us to the social media world, there is no object that we have discovered that we are made to delight in, admire, and pledge our allegiance to more than the Almighty. Family, nothing tells us more about ourselves than the object on which we set our love. If you can find out what a person or their family loves the most, you can find out everything you need to know about them. You better be careful what you set your love on. You better be careful what you decide to love supremely. Our verse today makes it very clear to us that God cares about what we love. We'll be in Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 through 37. If you got your Bibles, go there. In our text today, it makes it clear that God cares about what you love. And it reads, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? 
And he said to him, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Before we dive into the text, let's remember the setting before we get into the text. It is Wednesday of Passion Week, as it has been called. Wednesday of the Passover, the Wednesday before Friday when Jesus is to be crucified. And Jesus is in the temple. He has entered the city and been hailed as the Messiah, the deliverer of the nation from Rome, a Roman bondage, and the one who will come to set Israel in freedom and liberty, the one who would come and make all things right. They hoped that Jesus would release them from the bondage of the Roman Empire. And so all the people of the town got together and they triumphantly held him in on Monday. And on Tuesday, he went to the temple. Rather than attacking the Romans as they thought he might, he attacked them at the very heart of their nation. He attacked their false religious system. He cleansed the temple throughout the money changers and buyers and sellers who, were desecrate, who desecrated God's holy house. And I want to note here that God will clean up his church before he cleans up the White House. God is more concerned about the purity of his church more than he is concerned about the purity of the White House. That was Tuesday. But now it's Wednesday. And after spending the night in Bethany at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, you know Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. He was with his disciples, and he came back into the city, went back to the temple, and is spending the day teaching there and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus is doing what he always do, teaching folks about God. Amen. Well, alongside these events in the life of our Lord, it has been this mounting, rising animosity around him, hatred and venom of the religious leaders. They already resented Jesus deeply. They did not like him. They already wanted, him, wanted Jesus dead. The scripture says that they, all, they were plotting to murder Jesus. Isn't it funny that those who claimed they knew the Bible the most were the same ones trying to kill Jesus? And so when people say, Dexter, are you religious? I say, you're going to have to define that for me. Because from my understanding, Jesus got killed because he refused to be religious. Jesus didn't come to give us religion. Jesus came to give us life. And so here it is, he has an altercation with the Bible thumpers of the day. They are plotting to kill him. The scripture says they, 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 they were looking to take him out. Jesus finds himself in another situation with the guys who want to kill him called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They were the guys with all the answers about God. And so they thought until God showed up. Jesus was often challenged by these religious leaders with their tricky questions about God. Church, they tried to find Jesus slipping and tripping, but not Jesus, not at all. In our verse today, Jesus is challenged by a religious lawyer. Now, I want to explain to you who Jesus' opponent is in this text. When they say religious lawyer, it means a law expert, a Pharisee who was also one of the scribes. 
Now, a scribe was one who copied the law. They copied down the scriptures. They were so diligent in copying down the scriptures that when a king came into their presence, they wouldn't even acknowledge him if they were copying down God's word. A scribe had a heavy job on his shoulders, which is why a lot of our manuscripts are so well done, and we have little to no error in our manuscripts, and they didn't even have a copy machine. Who was? He was an authority on the law who knew the law. He interpreted the law. He taught the law and so forth. My man graduated from Harvard with a Ph.D. in the Bible. My man knew the scriptures. So he thought. What about Jesus? His opponents. I mean, I mean, he just been taught by God. That's all. You know, nothing to brag about, you know, and he was God himself, you know, but that ain't nothing, you know, he, he, he had no degrees or nothing, you know, but he did come down from heaven, you know, but we ain't going to talk about that, you know, because that, you, you know, that ain't nothing, right? And so he asked Jesus the question, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus replied, out of the 613 commandments in the Old Testament, Which one is the fundamental premise of the law on which all the individual commands depend on Jesus? Jesus quotes to him, Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Out of all the commands you could have picked, why that one, Jesus? Because what matters the most in life is what you love the most. Church, God cares about what you love. Jesus didn't just know the greatest commandment, though. He embodied it. Jesus, at this point, has spent his entire life showing them what it is to live out that commandment. No one in the history of the world has lived out the first commandment Perfectly, Jesus alone is the only one who has done it. Moses couldn't do it. Abraham couldn't do it. Joshua couldn't do it. Peter couldn't do it. Paul couldn't do it. Micah couldn't do it. Nobody, Ezra couldn't do it. I got some for the ladies in there too. No one in the history of the world has loved God with all their heart, mind, and soul every day, every second of every hour, only Jesus. And in a few days, from this conversation with this arrogant lawyer, this scribe, this teacher of the law, in just a few days, Jesus would not only display that he knew the answer, he was going to show him just how much he loved God. He was going to Calvary. Before we go to Calvary, I want to rewind back the tapes of Jesus' life to almost three years prior to this conversation. You see, church, Jesus is a savior and lover and teacher of those who fail miserably at loving God with all their heart, with all their mind, and with all their soul. But no one knew this like Peter knew it. If anyone knew that Jesus was a forgiver, if anybody knew that Jesus was a lover, if anybody knew that Jesus was a dweller with those who failed at loving God with all their heart, it would be my boy Peter. And so we see that Jesus and Peter meets up, meet up in Mark chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, 
he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of man. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Now, I want you to understand, when Jesus met Peter, Peter was just a regular old fishing guy. He was just a dude just trying to get by, trying to provide for his family. He was out there catching fish. Well, he didn't have that. He had a net, my bad. So he was throwing a net into the water, trying to catch fish. Peter was minding his own business. He wasn't bothering nobody. He was just going on about his day. But there's something about Peter that we can relate to. Peter was jacked up and messed up like you and I. He was prone to his sin nature like you and I. He often found himself in the struggle between sin and God. Peter is no better than us. I know you hear things like Saint Peter, but before Peter was a saint, he was a sinner. Before, before he was a man of God, Peter was a sinner. Peter was Peter was messed up. Peter was jacked up. If Peter was alive today, I think that he'll be checking his cell phone 81,000 times a year or 4.3 minutes every day. You know that's what they say, that we're addicted to our cell phones and technology, and I believe that to be absolutely true. Some of y'all just got convicted, but that's all right. Just keep listening to me. That's all right. You're going to get delivered today. If Peter was alive today, Peter would struggle with food. Peter would struggle with pornography. Peter would struggle with depression. Peter would struggle with stress. Peter would struggle like you and I. But nevertheless, Jesus tells Peter, you, sir, come follow me. And what does Peter do? Peter get, drops what he's doing and he follows Jesus. But what I love about this, that in spite of how jacked up and messed up Peter was, Jesus says, follow me. I'm so grateful that we serve a God that tells jacked up and messed up people, you there, you come and follow me. Peter became a follower of Jesus. At this point, Peter has no idea that this job was going to cost him his life. I mean, Jesus could at least told my man the job description. He could at least told my boy, hey, come over here. Listen. Listen, bro, this is going to cost you something. I want you to know that. But Jesus didn't do that. He just tell him, follow Follow me. Peter has no clue that, that Jesus is getting ready to teach him what it is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. He says, follow me, and I'm going to make you a fisherman of who? Men. just want to put a side note here. Isn't it funny that his new job description is a call to give his life in dedication to Peter? The reality is the evidence that you are living out the first commandment, the greatest commandment, is closely related to how you live out the second one, loving your neighbor as yourself. Church, to follow Jesus is a lifelong journey of series of breakups and breaking you until your soul confesses that Jesus is Lord. Where else would Jesus lead Peter to than to deeper love with God? Because God the Father and God the Son have loved each other from eternity. Y'all don't understand. 
The love between the Father and the Son. It's not human love. It's not petty love. This love is so great and so energetic that if you take all the stars in the universe, you take all the human love, you take everything, you put it together, and it will not compare to the love that is going between the Father and the Son and the beautiful thing in salvation. And I don't want to get ahead of myself is that you get caught up in that love. So your love for God is not just your love for God. It's the Holy Spirit in you drawing you into that love. It is a great love. Peter, follow me. Jesus says in John 3.35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. He expresses the love for his Father in John chapter 5, verse 20. The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. When Jesus says, follow him, it is not just physically, Peter. Follow me into the depths of how I love my Father. So Peter abandons everything to follow a man, a God-man, who is madly in love with God. You better be careful following people who really love God because you may find yourself having to forgive people that don't like you. You may find yourself, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's okay to say amen. If you can't say that, say ouch. You better be careful following people who really love Je- them crazy Jesus folks. They'll lead you into some stuff that you don't want to be a part of. You find yourself giving your stuff stuff away, and all of a sudden, I don't know, I didn't sign up for this. I got to get out of this. Uh-uh-uh-uh, you didn't tell me I had to leave this boyfriend. You didn't tell me I had to leave this job. You didn't tell me I had to leave this payment. You didn't tell me that... But when I'm following Jesus, it's a series of breakups and breaking me. Follow me, Peter. We see the first issue in Peter's failure to love Jesus is that Peter did not understand the necessity of the gospel. Peter did not understand the necessity of the gospel. I know this because of Matthew 16, verses 21 through 23. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. That a preach right there. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Why you got to do him like that? When Jesus called you Satan, that's like the most crucial indictment anybody can ever give. Like my feelings would have been hurt. But anyways, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, let me give you a little bit of background here. The disciples now have affirmed that Jesus is their Messiah. They have affirmed that. Back in verse 13, Jesus confronts them in a remote place called Caesarea of Philippi to ask them the ultimate question, really, who am I? And they replied through Peter, their spokesman, in verse 16, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the affirmation that he is the Messiah. They understand that. There's no other explanation for the words that he gives. 
There's no other explanation for the work that he has done. There's no other explanation for the fact that he said he was the Lord of the Sabbath, the fulfillment of the Sabbath ceremony. One person said Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. It's one or the other, and his disciples realize after walking with him, after spending time with him, they at least come to the conclusion that he has got to be the Messiah. There's no other explanation for you raising the dead and healing blind eyes and speaking the truth that you're speaking. Everything that you're doing is lining up with the Old Testament puzzle piece of the Messiah. So they got that much down. Peter and the rest of the disciples never witnessed anyone like Jesus. Peter has been watching this Jesus from the time he abandoned his fishing nets. And at this point, Peter knows Jesus is the Messiah. But the verse above reveals that he doesn't know what Jesus is all about. He knows who Jesus is, but he doesn't know what Jesus is all about. If they were to put Jesus in a police lineup, y'all like, why y'all going to put Jesus in the police lineup? Right? <laughs> but if they were to put Jesus in a police lineup and put Peter on the other side of the glass, Peter wouldn't only be able to identify who Jesus was physically, but personally. He would say, that is Jesus. He is the son of God without a doubt in his mind. But at this point in Peter's life, if they asked in that Messiah, what is he about? Peter would have gotten it wrong. He would have said he's about taking down the Roman Empire and freeing Israel from its political oppressions. Wrong, Peter. Church, it is not enough to be able to identify Jesus. Christianity is not a simple police lineup where you're able to point out and identify him. No, it is more than witnessing him with our eyes. We must witness him with our hearts. Peter, understand, you don't get it yet, Peter. Your understanding of me is incomplete. Peter, I'm going to show you where my love is. Because as I said, you don't know a person until you know what they love. I'm going to show you, Peter, what I love with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my strength. You don't know someone until you know what they love, Jesus tries to explain this to Peter, where his first love was. He says, from that time, at the beginning of that verse, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed on the third day, be raised. The disciples were shocked. And especially Peter. At the moment Jesus made this statement, hey, Peter, I got to go and die. Peter say, hold up, brother. What are you talking about? All this dying and, and going to the grave. Lord, that should never happen to you. You're the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You are more than a conqueror. What's this nonsense you're talking about? Dying, and though those things were true, Peter, you want me to set up my kingdom, but you got to understand I got to set my kingdom up in your heart first. You got to understand, Peter, if I was to set up my kingdom, you wouldn't be a part of it because you'll be on your way to hell. Peter had this wrong view that he thought he was going to be kicking it with Jesus. Him and Jesus going to be eating Doritos in the kingdom and kicking back and watching the football game. But Jesus told Peter, no, that's not the case. I got to die for you. Here's your lesson, Peter. 
I love God more than my own life. Do you want to know the Messiah? Know what I love above everything else. Whatever the Father will is, is my pleasure. Everything that I do, Peter, everything that you see me do, I'm doing it with the glory of God in mind. Everything you see me do, every move, every step, every second that I take, I'm moving closer to the Father. I'm following the Father. Everything that I do, it's not about me, Peter. Learn and watch. Now, I got to go to this cross so that many more can understand and get this. Peter, you need the gospel more than you understand. And I got to die for you, Peter. Why? Because God cares about what you love, Peter. Your love for me falls short. Peter did not believe that his love for Jesus fell short. He thought that his love was greater than that. I know this because of Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through 62. It says, then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter, <clears throat> Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him, seeing him as he sat in light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. Here she go all up in his business. He over the fire. She looking at him like, I know cuz right there. He was, he, yeah, yeah, he was with him, right? And, and a little later, someone else saw him and said, you, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. Peter is trying to save his own skin. Peter like, I ain't going down. Not, the, not today, Satan, not today. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. How he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Jesus had not too long ago told Peter that this would happen, that he would deny him, that his love would fail. The verse says that they seized Jesus or arrested him. The same people that asked Jesus what is the greatest commandment, the religious leaders of the day, the experts in the law are the same people getting ready to kill him. Church, sometimes it's the people that claim they love God the most that can't stand God at all. We got to understand, just because you say you love Jesus doesn't mean that you love Jesus. Just because you know a whole lot of Bible knowledge doesn't mean that you love him. They challenged Jesus at the head level, but didn't know he was going to beat them at the head in the heart level when it came to loving God. You see, it's not enough to have orthodoxy and not have orthodoxy. Jesus is getting ready to show them what it is, not only to know the law, but to live the law. And part of the issue in the church is that our what, what, what we say we believe is disconnected with how we live. The Pharisees and the Sadducees wanted to kill Jesus, and they finally arrested him. You want an answer? I'm going to give you an answer. But now I'm going to give you a picture of what it is 
to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. This is why we sing. They hung him high. They stretched him wide. That's love because Jesus displays on the maximum, the apex level, what it is to love God. Now hold up for a second. What about Peter? Peter is in the courtyard. He's camping out by the fire, warming himself up. In just a moment, his love for God will be tested. Now, don't make fun of Peter. Because you know that your love has been tested for God and you failed several times. Mm -hmm. God has been faithful. And there's times where you've been unfaithful. God has been good, and there's times where you've been bad, but he was still good. Don't make fun of Peter. You don't understand. Have you ever been cut by the night? Have you ever been in a place of temptation so great that, that, that you thought that you wouldn't do it, and you got caught up in the moment, and all of a sudden, you find yourself unfaithful to God? Oh, it'll happen, church. Don't look down on Peter until you understand. Sin has a way of humbling you. Sin has a way of teaching you a lesson. Peter denies Jesus. Peter said to him, even though, now, now this is earlier, right? This is, this is early on. This is before the courtyard. This is before the fire, before he warmed himself up, all right? This is before, all right? So Jesus tells Peter, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me. This is going to happen. Now, when God says something, you, it's going to happen, all right? But Peter going to learn a valuable lesson here in a second. But I love what Peter said. Peter is my boy because me and him, we can relate. I feel Peter on this. So Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter says, even though all the rest of them cats fall away, I got your back. I'm your homeboy. I'm down with you. We ride and die together. If you go to the cross, I'm going to go to the cross. If they put nails in your hands, they're going to have to put nails in my hands. If they pierce your side, they're going to have to pierce my side because I love you like that. You my boy. Let's dap it up. And so, so Peter claims that he loves Jesus on the level that Jesus loves him. But he's getting ready to find out, Peter, that's not the case. You ever had people say that they love you, and then when you go through hard times, they like to abandon you? Everybody claims that they love you until your water doesn't work anymore, till your heat doesn't work anymore, till you start going through relationship problems, until you start losing all that fancy stuff, and then you find out everybody don't love you just as much as they say that they love you, which is why you got to be careful what you love the most because what you put your love in the most is your God and what you're going to find out anyone beside Yahweh is going to fail you and so Peter you think that you love me do you Peter Peter has good intentions on loving Jesus I think that he was sincere when he said that he would go to the cross but the issue with Peter is that he has a wrong view of his love for God he has a self-righteousness in his soul and he does doesn't understand that his love for God is very short. We can relate to this because Peter is not alone when it comes to failing to love God. Let's pause for a minute. Let me relate to you. Let me pull up a seat next to you. A lot of us say that we love God, but the way that we handle our cell phones is an indictment on us. The way that we treat the ladies in the church is an indictment on us. The way that we forgive one another is an indictment on us. We say that we love God, but 
But it's so easy for things that are smaller than God to get in the way. Understand that my love for you, Peter, is not contingent on your love for me. Understand that your ability to love me is contingent on the faithfulness of my love for you. The Bible says there is no fear in love, but perfect love cows out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fear has not been perfected in love. We love, watch this, underline this, circle this, write this down, put it on the front of your forehead. We love because he first loved us. Jesus loved you way before you ever loved him. The Bible says people will die for a righteous person and maybe even a good person, but for some wicked, jacked up, messed up folks, that don't normally happen. And so, Peter, you're going to deny me because you're still trusting in your weak love for me instead of drawing up your love from me, for, from me, for you. Peter, denial is worse than the Pharisees that hated Jesus. It is worse. That was Jesus' homeboy. He was in Jesus' faith five. He was told the secrets of the kingdom. He heard things that none of the rest of us heard. He was on the mountain of transfiguration. He seen Moses and, and the rest of them up there with Jesus when God showcased his glory for just a little bit. Peter was in the inner circle of Jesus. His, his denial is worse than the Pharisees. But what I love about this scene, church, is that while Jesus, while Peter is in the courtyard being unfaithful, Jesus is among the priests being faithful towards Peter. He is remaining faithful to him. How many people know what it is to fail God and for God to remain faithful to you? Many of us wouldn't be here today if it weren't for the faithfulness of his love. God's love is stronger than ours. I will remain faithful Peter, as you grow in unfaithfulness towards me, because I care about what you love. Peter thought that he loved Jesus more than he actually did. Now Peter is humbled. And we see this in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. It says, when they had finished breakfast, this is after the crucifixion. Jesus has already died. He has gotten up from the grave. Peter has denied him, and Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? 
And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You see the change there. Now all of a sudden, Peter is starting to get it. Jesus, you know everything. A minute ago, Jesus didn't know nothing. But now you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Back in Matthew 4, 4, 19, Jesus met this fisherman, Peter, told them to drop their nets, leave everything behind, and follow me. You remember that he did that. He, he followed those instructions. And now here's three Plus years later, Peter has led his fishermen back to fishing because he has failed Jesus. Peter, though he has failed Jesus, is in a better place than when Jesus first met Peter. Because Peter is now broken. Peter is now on his face. I'm going to tell you, church, God wants you on your face because God is at his best. When life is at its worst, and even though he has seen the risen Christ, he was a broken man. He was in tune with just how weak and unfaithful his own human love was. I know this to be true. You see, when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Jesus uses the Greek word agape. Peter, do you agape me, Peter? Do you love me with all your heart? Do you love me with all your soul? Do you love me with all your might? See, when Jesus used the word agape, that's that high love. That's that noblest, purest, best, the love of the wheel. We talk about agape love. That's the noun form of it. It is a love in its fullest sense, love in its deepest sense, love in its greatest sense. Love, I guess you could say, it's the purest form of divine love. Do you love me, Peter? Peter thinks about his life for real this time. He examines his soul for real this time. He looks at the inside of himself for real this time. He thinks about his denial. He thinks about his failure. And instead of replying, you know I agape you. He says, you know I phileo you. Now, see, we don't understand that in the American way because we use one word love for everything. But in the Jewish context, they had different levels of love. And so Jesus is saying, do you love me agape? And Peter, he's a little bit humble now. He's not, he not going to say I agape. I'm going to just take it down a notch. Lord, I phileo you, which means that I got brotherly affections for you, which means, yeah, we boys, but I ain't dying for you. We boys, but I ain't dropping everything for you. We boys, but I ain't giving up everything for you. Jesus, I phileo you. Peter realizes that he falls short of the first commandment. And after asking Peter three times, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know me better than I know myself. You know me better than I know myself. You know the depths of my heart. You know 
what I'm capable of doing. You know who I am, Peter. I know you, Peter. You don't know yourself, but you're going to know yourself in a second. Peter, I know you. When God says something about you, you better get in line with it. All have fallen short of the glory of God. How wicked is the human heart. Peter, get in line. Peter humbles himself. Because here's the reality, people. You want to follow me? You want to go where I'm going? Let me explain something to you, Peter. Until you realize that I am the vine and you are the branch, you can't go where I'm going. You can't go where I'm going. Until you realize that I am the living water and you're not. Until you realize before Abraham was, I was. Until you realize that I am the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Until you realize who I am, you can't go where I'm going. Because where I want to take you is going to take none of you. And it's going to take all of me. Where I want to take you, Peter. What I want to do with you, Peter. How I want to use you, Peter. You got to empty yourself of you and see your necessity to cling to me. I'm calling you, Peter. When I told you to follow me, I was calling you to abandon everything. Control, desires, everything. Give it up for me. What's going to motivate that? What's going to cause Peter to give up everything for Jesus? There's only one thing that can do that. The love in the gospel. You got to see it, Peter. You got to get it, Peter. You got to behold it, Peter. You have to have love if you're going to follow God. I think that we understand that even on a human level, people are willing to sacrifice for things to the degree that we love them. You think about what you love and let somebody mess with it. Let somebody touch it. Mother's in the room. Let somebody mess with your kids and see how many hoops you're willing to jump over. Hold on. Let me keep going here. Think about that car that you love. Let somebody put a scratch on it and see how far you'll go with that. Husbands, if you love your wives in the room, let somebody touch her. Let somebody say something about her. You're going to make me lose all of my religion, all of my Christianity. I didn't want to go there. I thought I was changed. I tried to be a new person, but now you didn't took me there. I didn't want to go there. You shouldn't have touched my babies. You shouldn't have touched my house. We are willing to go to large sacrifices to what we love. I'll give up a meal for my kids because I love them. And Jesus saying, you don't love nothing over me. You be willing to drop everything and give up everything. Can I talk to you about the saints of old? Because there's some people who have went before us that have shown us what it is to give up everything and to keep loving Jesus. You don't love Jesus until you're willing to lay down your life for him. You don't love Jesus until you say the things of the this world means nothing. I remember a guy that wrote a song after he lost his kids at sea and he says, although everything I have lost, it is well with my soul. Until you learn to say that it is well with my soul, you don't know what it is to love Jesus. And God wants to free us from everything that's holding us down. He wants us to set aside every weight and every stronghold and everything that is keeping us from loving him with all of our 
our might, hard and strength. Peter, you got to understand that there's a love that you don't know about. There's a depth that you don't know about. There's a glory that you don't know about. Let me talk to you a second about Stephen in the stoning pit. Stephen was in the stoning pit. And as they were stoning him, Stephen says, I seen the glory of God in the stoning pit. And so as they stone Stephen, you know he's the first martyr in the Bible. As they stoning him, he looks up to heaven and he says, I seen the glory of God. Let me talk to you for a minute because you ain't with me. Lean in a little bit. What Peter, what Stephen seen in the stoning pit was the glory of God. And the reason why he seen the glory of God, because he seen what, what bright days can never show you. He seen what fair weather can never show you. It is in the dark darkness, in the lostness sometimes that we find Jesus and we see the glory of God. He said, I seen him standing at the majesty on high. It is sometimes in your brokenness and tearing you and ripping you and stripping you of yourself that God shows you who he is. He takes everything away from you until you learn that the only love that matters is my love. God wanted to show Peter what it was all about. Peter eventually got it. Oh, he got it. But that's Peter. Peter got it. What about you? What about you? What are you holding on to? You think your love's stronger? Than the person next to you? Well, you better be careful answering that. Jesus asked Peter, Do you love me? He asked Peter, Do you love me? I asked you this morning. Do you love him, church? Do you love him? As we think about that question, we are much like Peter. He has all the failures that we are so familiar with in our own lives. He overestimates himself. He underestimates temptation. He thinks he is more committed than he is. He thinks he loves the Lord more than he does. He thinks he has the greatest commandment down. He thinks he can face any trial triumphantly and finds out he can't. Do you love me more than you fill in the blank? Do you love me more than social media? Do you love me more than TV? Do you love me more than money? Do you love me more than your business? Do you love me more than your schooling? Do you love me more than your girlfriend? Do you love me more than your children? Don't be hasty like Peter in answering that. Be honest with yourself. Our love is weak, but there is hope for us because if he can restore Peter, my God, he can restore me. I'm getting ready to close here. What can we learn from Peter? that we can put into practice. Number one, Peter, you got to preach the gospel to yourself every day. 
You got to stare my love in the face every day. You got to remember that my love for you is not contingent on you. You got to be reminded every day, Peter, of my love for you. Church, every day we wake up, you just need to take a bath in the love of Jesus before you get on your way. Just soak yourself in the love of God. Peter, you know what else you need to do? You need to believe what I say about you. You need to believe what I said about you is true. And the last thing, Peter, although you fail, although you fall, you can get up because I got up. I want you to know, Peter, that you can get up and keep on walking because I got up and kept on walking. Peter would be crucified upside down is what history tells us. Peter finally got it. And when they were getting ready to crucify him, he said, don't crucify me upright. Crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to live, to die like my Savior. Peter got it and God can and will and wants to make us into lovers of Jesus. His love is strong enough to bring our families and our church into submission to him because God cares about what you love, church. Let's give him some glory this morning for all that he is.